The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. The Writer Files is brought to you by Studio Press, the industry standard for premium WordPress themes and plugins. Built on the Genesis framework, Studio Press delivers state-of-the-art SEO tools, beautiful and fully responsive design, airtight security, instant updates, and much more. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 177,000 website owners trust Studio Press. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress right now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. These are the writer files. A tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers. From online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Calvin Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. The instant national best-selling author of the acclaimed debut novel, Sweet Bitter, Stephanie Damler stopped by the show to chat with me this week about her not-so-overnight success as a rising literary star. Ms. Damler signed a six-figure deal with Knopf for her first book, the coming-of-age story of a young woman transplanted into New York City's upscale, cutthroat restaurant world. Best-selling author Jay McInerney called Sweet Bitter a stunning debut novel, one that seems destined to help define a generation. And the book has been compared to Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential. Before returning to her love of writing and earning an MFA in fiction from the New School in New York, Ms. Dandler spent much of her life working in the food and wine industry. Stephanie's also written essays for the Paris Review, Vogue, Literary Hub, and Travel and Leisure. Join us for this two-part interview, and if you're a fan of the show, do click subscribe to automatically see new interviews and help other writers to find us. In part one of this file, Stephanie and I discuss why you should write what you know and love the unglamorous yet rewarding work of promoting a new book, why cultural artifacts are great for research, an author's careful balance of daily beverage consumption, and why the old rules of productivity shouldn't apply to writers. And we're rolling with author Stephanie Danler. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to wrap with us about your process. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. I am a big fan of this new book, Sweet Bitter. Um, I have to say it's it's my new favorite. And I don't say that very often. I know it might sound um, <laughs> like maybe I say that to every author. 
But uh, I love and hate it. And I'll tell you why. It's because I've, I've waited tables uh, for many, many years of my life. And it's giving me like uh, uh, flashbacks. I hear that all the time. <laughs> I hear the PTSD that people start to sweat a little bit, especially yeah. in some of the more intense service scenes, which <laughs> I imagine are really boring for a lot of readers. They're like, I get it. She carries three plates. This yeah. is not that difficult. But for people in the industry, that kind of like crush and intensity yeah. of service, ugh, I still get PTSD. And I didn't stop waiting tables that long ago. Yeah, it's amazing um, that, you know, it's been years for me as well. But I still kind of get that those uh, waiting tables like dreams where I have a nightmare, oh, yeah. um, which is totally kind of like a PTSD response. Of course, it's like a stress response, but it's a... Uh, What's yours? Everyone has a different one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like the restaurant fills up and you're the only server and <laughs> you can't do anything right. And everyone's speaking a different language. And, um, you just want to like get one coffee to a table and you can't like span this like football field size restaurant. How about that? That's a great one. <laughs> What's yours? That's a, um, God, mine is so specific. And it's that I go into the wine room to pull a bottle of wine and none of the bottles have labels on them. Oh God. They're all just like black. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm digging <laughs> through this endless pile of glass. Um, sure, very, sure. And I'm sweating the whole time. Oh, my. Yeah. Okay, cool. So it's yeah. um, it's definitely something that, that waiters get. But you, you waited tables in a very specific type of restaurant, like a fine dining um, place. And, it, I mean, and the book is amazing. The, the language and the prose um, really, really captures that, uh, setting. And so kudos on the success of the book. I understand it's, uh, doing very well, getting a lot of great buzz. Thank you. Yeah. Um, totally has surpassed any of my wildest expectations. So <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to go home now, but <laughs> um, are not you, quite yet. Are you still in New York city or, or are no, you? Um, I, just got back to LA where I am currently camped out. So technically this is home, but I'm still, um, working for sweet bitter constantly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, well that's exciting. So maybe for listeners who, um, aren't kind of familiar with your story, can you give us kind of a little bit of your origin from, you know, like, you know, maybe just from, waiting tables in New York city or being a back waiter yeah. in New York city to best-selling novelist. <laughs> that is such a clean trajectory. Yeah. And I wish that it went like that. <laughs> I, um, so I moved to New York city at the same age as my protagonist in the novel. She moves when she's 22 in 2006. And that is in fact, when I moved to the city and the age that I was, um, unlike my protagonist, I'd been working in restaurants my entire life. I started when I was 15 years old and mm -hmm. I never had another job. So I knew when I got to New York that I needed to find restaurant work quickly and that that was what would support me while I wrote because I did move to become a writer. I had just finished undergrad and I had two parts of a very bad novel that I thought was going to be a great novel. <laughs> and I think the most autobiographical part of Sweet Bitter is the experience of 
falling head over heels in love with an industry mm-hmm. and it giving you a life that is very full and that is not a means to an end, but is immensely gratifying in and of itself. And that's what I found when I got to New York. And so after uh, my first job, which was at a landmark restaurant that's no longer there, Union Square Cafe, Mm -hmm. Danny Meyer's first restaurant. After that, I went to wine school. I helped open wine stores. I was the beverage director for a small restaurant group. I was the general manager. I helped open new businesses. I was a food and wine professional Mm -hmm. and very attached to that identity. And it wasn't until I was almost 30 that I remembered why I had moved to New York City. And at that point, I had this idea. I wanted to tell a coming-of-age novel that subverted the genre in a few ways. First, by being about a woman. And second, by being not about age 14 or age 18, but about this like extended adolescence that we're experiencing now in our 20s mm-hmm. and where we're not married. We're not supposed to have careers yet. And we have this period where we're actually just supposed to be figuring out how to be. And so I married that with what I knew, which is um, you know, 15 years in the restaurant industry. Yeah. And I had this expertise and I had this world that was so rich. And I went back to graduate school and I was getting my MFA. And the first thing I wrote was the first sentence of Sweet Bitter. And two years later, I had the first draft finished. That's cool. That's really, really cool. Yeah. And there was a lot of messy, awful stuff in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of that. So <laughs> sure. it wasn't so clean. But I do love that story. Waitress turns into best selling author. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> I just woke up one day and poof, there was a book. <laughs> um, well, I noticed that you you quoted Saf- Sappho in the in the opening there. Uh, is that where the title comes from or? Yeah. Um, so Sappho famously was the first writer to call love bittersweet, but there's a more recent translation by the poet Ann Carson in which she looks at the word in Greek and says, no, it's actually sweet bitter. Mm. And that's also the order in which we experience love, the sweet first and then the bitter. That's cool. And I love Ann Carson, so I just went with that. Very cool. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. 
And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, I mean, the, the world is uh, so ripe for pig. I mean, like that subculture. And, and um, I mean, I love how you're kind of going through the, the palate, the flavors, the, the everything, the appetite of, um, of that world. And uh, it's an amazing read. So kudos on that. So where else can we find your writing out there? I know you've written for some kind of bigger name um, publications. Have you done travel travel writing? Is that right? Or? Yeah, I do. So I have two other types of writing going on. And I occasionally, um, with much angst, write personal essays. It's not my natural habitat. But <laughs> I also have had a really great run um, with travel and leisure. I have an incredible editor there, Jesse Ashlock. And we've done three pieces together now. And I've always been traveling. It's a huge part of my life and it's what I've spent all my money on and um, what I always will spend all my money on. And it has turned out that I get to write about it. And it's not always that glamorous, but it's incredibly rewarding. (laughs) And then the personal essays um, have found homes on the Paris Review website, um, Vogue, and Lit Hub, Literary Hub, another mm-hmm. website, all sites that I'm so honored to be on. Yeah. And the Vogue thing was insane. Like no one thinks they're going to be in Vogue. It's so weird. I've never even read Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. But again, I had a genius editor who pulled out this personal essay for me. And I think I get more feedback about that essay, which talks about drug addiction and, mm-hmm. um, developing boundaries with addicts. I get more feedback on that than anything I've written, including Sweet Bitter. Wow. Yeah. All great stuff. And I'll link to those. Um, you also have a personal website, which I'll link to. Um, yeah. That's stephaniedandler.com. So we'll put that in the show notes for, for listeners also. So um, what are you working on right now? I am working on this podcast and then <laughs> um, I am working for Sweet Bitter, but I do have two essays that are close. And then there is that dreaded second novel that Knopf is waiting for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, which uh, I will turn my attention to shortly, but I just got back from touring. So I think I need a little bit of mental space. We will be right back after a very short break. Thanks so much for listening to the writer files. Hey, 
Jared Morris here. If you know anything about Rainmaker Digital and CopyBlogger, you may know that we produce incredible live events. Well, some would say that we produce incredible live events as an excuse to throw great parties, but that's another story. We've got another one coming up this October in Denver. It's called Digital Commerce Summit, and it is entirely focused on giving you the smartest ways to create and sell digital products and services. You can find out more at rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. We'll be talking about Digital Commerce Summit in more detail as it gets closer. But for now, I'd like to let a few attendees from our past events speak for us. For me, it's just hearing from the experts. I mean, this is my first industry event, so it's awesome to learn new stuff and also get confirmation that we're not doing it completely wrong where I work. The best part of the conference for me is being able to mingle with people and realize that you have connections with everyone here. It feels like LinkedIn Live. I also love the parties after each day, being able to talk to the speakers, talk to other people over here. First time people have been here before. I think the best part of the conference for me is understanding how I can service my customers a little more easily. Seeing all the different facets and components of various enterprises then helps me pick the best tools. Hey, we agree. One of the biggest reasons we host a conference every year is so that we can learn how to service our customers, people like you, more easily. And here are just a few more words from folks who have come to our past live events. It's really fun. I think it's a great mix of beginner information and advanced information. So I'm really learning a lot and having a lot of fun. Conference is great, especially because it's a single track conference where you don't get distracted by like, which session should I go to and am I missing something? I mean, the training and everything, the speakers have been awesome, but I think the coolest aspect for me has been connecting with both people who are putting it on and then the other attendees. So that's it for now. There's a lot more to come on Digital Commerce Summit, and I really hope to see you there in October. Again, to get all the details and the very best deal on tickets, head over to rainmaker.fm slash summit. That's rainmaker.fm slash summit. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that as it uh, develops. And uh, I'd love to just kind of dig into your process a little bit and learn a little bit more about your creative and um, uh, writing process. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about productivity a little bit. And um, when you when you were working on the book, how much time um, were you kind of putting into research? I know that, that that you did a lot of personal research over those years as a as a server and, and industry um, worker. Did you, did you did you find yourself doing a lot of research while you were writing the book? It's interesting. I. People ask me often whether I had to research the industry or the food and the wine, and those things were so second nature to me. But what I could not remember was 2006, probably because I was drunk and working at the restaurant. But also, I was 22, and it was a decade ago, and I keep notebooks but my notebooks are, I woke up sad today. I woke up happy today. Like they're useless. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I found myself very grateful for my um, hoarding tendencies and all of these old New Yorkers and New York magazines and oh, cool. a collection of old gourmet magazines, which is now out of print, but was the most beautiful food magazine in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a storage unit full of, of this print magazine, these print magazines, and all the information is online, but what you don't get is the ads and the feel Mm -hmm. of 
what was happening in 2006, what restaurants were opening, what menus looked like, what songs were popular. Um, those were so helpful in jogging my memory. That's cool. And that counts. That counts as research, I think. Oh, for sure. So um, before you actually sit down to, to get going, do you have any pregame rituals to kind of get you into the mood? I mean, yes, I... I'm big on beverages, Mm -hmm. like multiple, multiple beverages. (laughs) And so there is usually like a cup of coffee that is lukewarm and anyone else would think is disgusting, but I drink it all day. And then there's tea and there's water. And then at some point there's a Campari soda. And then Mm. at some point there's a white wine. And I think the beverages are twofold because you need to be hydrated while you write, right? Everyone <laughs> knows that. But you get to get up from the desk every like 20 to 30 minutes to yeah. refill something or fidget with something. And I find that very valuable. Oh, for sure. Yeah, taking breaks is important. Um, staying caffeinated also important up to a point. Such a, yeah, such a delicate <laughs> art with caffeination. Uh, right, right. <laughs> Ca- being caffeinated, caffeination. I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you are working on a bigger piece or, or even an essay, are you working on it every day? Are you uh, scheduling or blocking out times or word counts? I think that um, when I am lucky, I'm obsessed by a project enough that I'm working on it every day. And I'm not a fantastic multitasker. I really do need to focus in on one project. I very rarely am juggling two pieces of writing at the same time. Um, And I do block off whole days. I find that I cannot dip in and dip out. Maybe that also goes back to being a bad multitasker. Mm. I, my social self and my writing self are so far away from each other. Like even just to, to talk to you today, it means that I can't write. I'm in a different headspace. Mm. I mean, maybe, maybe later today if a shift occurs, but so I have to block off whole days and that means, no, I cannot go to lunch. No, I cannot, um, go get a drink. No, I cannot work out. No, I cannot go to the market. You just really have to put strict boundaries around that time. Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. So that gets you into the flow and then, so it sounds like you're working big, like big stretches. Yeah. Marathon that is stretches. how I work. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, do you find that you're getting more stuff done in the mornings or are you kind of just whatever, whatever time yeah. of day? I, mornings are hard because I do get up early and I read and I have a handwriting like journal practice that I've had for my entire life. But really I, there are so many emails and there's the business of life. And that always feels most pressing in the morning. I find that I have a productive period around 10 AM after that stuff has fallen away, or I have a better sense of my day. Mm -hmm. And then like around 4 PM, like anything leading up to a meal, I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I'll write for two hours and then I get to eat. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, do you like to work with headphones on or are you somebody who, who prefers silence? Um, I like music. I, I have a hard time with music that has words, though. Mm-hmm. I think when you're dealing with words and I have 
worked in silence before and found it very productive, but it's also a little frightening, <laughs> especially if you're working for like 10 hours with no noise. Yeah. Um, that is a little intense for me. There's something about music where I feel like I'm in touch with the world still. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it interesting actually that, you know, kind of in the restaurant on a busy night, um, there's this, it's, it's a sound that kind of a busy restaurant makes. That's like almost like brown noise or something um, mm-hmm. where all conversations just kind of melt into one thing. And then you've got that soundtrack underneath that's like an ambient soundtrack or something like that. Do you have memories of some of those like tracks that would come on at the restaurant um, during a, during a, a service Oh my night. God, of course. Don't you? Yeah, totally. It's, it's really interesting. And, and I've tried to like make playlists that incorporate like songs from different eras of, you know, different restaurants to kind of remember those times. There was, um, the last job I had was at a restaurant called Bouvette and, um, Slippin' and a Slidin' by <laughs> Little Richard would come on at like midnight when things were beginning to break apart when (laughs) people had gotten too drunk and we got this late night rush that we weren't expecting and everyone's so tired and hungry and I would always look at the bartender and just shake my head because that (laughs) song was like we're doomed (laughs) that's awesome so when you hear it now you kind of I have not listened to that song since I left that restaurant no I would never gotcha gotcha um well, let's hear your thoughts on writer's block. Do you believe in it? Is it a thing or have oh, you ever experienced God. it? It's like the most powerful, one of the most powerful myths about writing. And it, every writer is asked about it and it's been endlessly discussed. But what's interesting, I don't think writer's block exists. I think that the... I think that the way that we measure productivity is not applicable to writing. Mm -hmm. You have, um, usually you have like active time equal to your production, to the amount of money you're getting paid. None of those rules apply. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that you're blocked makes an assumption that there's another way that you should be working, that there are goals that you have to hit. Mm -hmm. However, I do, I have had the experience of having so much energy for a piece and diving into it and running into literally a wall, a mental wall and being like, Oh, what is this doing here? I'm just going to bang my head against it and I'm sure it will disappear. And then finally saying, I have to walk away. And that's what I think of when I think of writer's block, but it's actually something else, which is, some wiser, less egotistical self that is also me looking down (laughs) and saying, this isn't working, walk away. I mean, that's, um, that's your instinct. So that's not really a block. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, uh, summation. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.